another Friday. It's another day with your host, Larry K on the Logic and Larry podcast. I am very happy to be with you for another week of all kinds of news and all kinds of discussion. This isn't a live version of the show. I apologize. I know my live audience prefers the live versions, but today I'm just tired and I want to take it easy later tonight. I was thinking of going on a hiatus, quite frankly, for a couple weeks. But the fact is, there's just too much going on in the news. And right now, it's kind of good news that's actually happening. So I wanted to just touch base with you guys, give you a brief little podcast to discuss what's going on. Uh, Once again, want to thank Alex for coming on last time and Stair Party. I've been following along. I hope you have, too. Uh, If you haven't checked out the Stair Party, you haven't checked out Alex Darlington yet, go ahead and look him up. Uh, Go back to my posts from last week and check out some of the content that I posted regarding him. I hope everybody's kind of sledding through this, the dog days of summer. I know I get kind of, you know, some people hibernate for, you know, well, not some people. People don't. I mean, mammals, mammals hibernate in the winter as a general rule, right? But me, I'm almost more of like a summer hibernator, meaning like... I get so tired and hot and just the heat's beating down on me and then I get kind of lazy. I want to go chill by the pool. I want to go into the mountains. I want to go to a lake. I want to go to the beach. I just kind of my drive to like be ultra productive and, you know, do as much as I can kind of fades a little bit in the summer. So, you know, it's a little tough for me to get revved up and going, but I hope you are all enjoying your summer. I hope you are all getting through these dog days of summer and uh, enjoying the hot weather. If you got some uh, place to seek refuge, like a pool or a beach or a lake or what have you, or just maybe your own air conditioning inside the house, whatever suits you. Maybe you're one of those people that likes to go outside and get in the sun. If that's you, well, I hope you're having fun doing that. Anyway, everything I say in this podcast, as you know, is strictly my opinion as a private citizen. It's me talking to you in a private capacity. It does not reflect the views or the positions of any other person or any other entity whatsoever. It's just Larry Kay talking to the people. Um, It's been a little bit of an interesting week for me. I I was reading an article the other day, and it kind of, to me put everything in perspective in terms of, you know, what are we going through in this country? People say we should celebrate this country, this country. What does it mean to you? Freedom. It means, you know, oppression. It means um, prosperity. It means, you know, welcoming your tired and and poor and hungry immigrants. It means, you know, being insensitive towards immigrants. It, It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I think on this show, And I, as a person, have long tried to kind of find a common thread or a common identity for this country that we live in. And I've tried to, you know, rationalize and build the country's history and the country's imperfections and its accomplishments all toward that end, right? All toward that end of we, you know, have some common thread of what America is. But I was reading this article the other day, and when I'm trying to figure out how to conceptualize, like, America's history is nuanced, and it's almost contradictory, and different people's perspectives are all valid, you know, despite the fact that they might not always resonate with each other, or they might be even the antithesis of somebody else's perspective. I was reading an article in the Smithsonian Magazine the other day. 
And it was a really intriguing article, which I did post on social media. So if you want to check it out, go ahead and check it out. But the article um, was about the Underground Railroad going south. In other words, we generally think of the Underground Railroad in slavery, you know, during slavery times in the United States as a, you know, underground network of people to help fleeing slaves go north to get away from oppression and get away from slavery in the south. But apparently, little known to many, there was also an Underground Railroad that went south. Specifically, it went into Mexico. Because apparently Mexico had outlawed slavery uh, long before the United States, obviously, and also had a strict policy of defending escaped slaves and free people against uh, fugitive slave hunters, bounty hunters, who would come into Mexico from America and attempt to uh, capture people and bring them back to the United States. Also, this article got into the history of, you know, Mexican territory that was annexed by the United States subsequent to the um, Mexican War. And um, it discussed Texas and it discussed the culture of Texas and the fact that a big driver of Texas wanting its independence from Mexico was actually because Texas wanted to maintain its, you know, vast slave enterprise. And Mexico in general was hostile toward that. Now, Mexico understood that in some of the territories, Texas being a rugged territory to the north, that it was going on, but it was still kind of hostile to slavery. And apparently a big part of the agricultural industry in eastern Texas was annoyed that Mexico was not down with it and that's a big reason why Texas fought for its independence and then you know there were stories about free people and African Americans who immigrated down there and actually joined with some Cherokee Native Americans and they would fight Apaches and it was interesting because apparently Native Americans in the region would capture African-American people and then sell them into slavery in the southern United States and African-American individuals who were in certain territories down there would fight the Apaches and and it, it just got me thinking about the sheer complexity the sheer complexity of American history where you have indigenous people who are widely viewed and rightfully so as victimized by American expansion west and displaced. And then you had yet Buffalo soldiers who were many who were African-American who were participating in fighting against Native Americans. And then in the Mexican territories between the United States and Mexico in that time, you had Native American tribes that were capturing African-Americans and returning them back to slavery. And then you had Mexican individuals who were descendants of both Spanish settlers and indigenous peoples who had an anti-slavery predisposition and and fought against fugitive slave laws. You also had abolitionists in the north, and all of these things are continuously going on. Another thing I, I learned that I didn't know in a different article in the Smithsonian was that a lot, one in four, one in four of all cowboys and rodeo stars, one in four of the Wild West were African Americans. 
And actually, some of the most famous bull riders and rodeo stars, two of them to be specific, were black. And it just blew my mind because it's not how we've seen it portrayed in films and whatnot, except for Django. But like Django is more accurate than you realize because people were escaping West during, you know, even right before Reconstruction, during slavery, after slavery. And, and, and apparently a lot of the people in the West were African-American and they were either joined up with certain Native Americans, aligned with them, fighting them. My point in bringing up this entire long soliloquy I just went off on a tangent about is just to say that when we try to think about what America is, what its history is, what it stands for, I think the fact is all that it stands for is... The only thing America is, is this vast land in North America, and songs talk about it in poems, but I think in a modern era we sometimes forget, but the what it is and what it, even in its, in its most ideal sense, and in its least ideal sense, that exists simultaneously and are not mutually exclusive, America is this rugged terrain of sheer freedom and human nature. And you can tell the duality of that already. That is both beautiful and disgusting. That is both prosperous and oppressive. That is both promising and damning. There is no right answer to what it is. It's this place where peoples from all across the globe come and try to succeed with or against each other and perpetually are battling physically, ideologically, politically, etc. in their self-interest and in their philosophies, be that altruistic philosophies or more selfish philosophies or religious philosophies or non-religious philosophies, what it is, is just this vast land, and I say that physically, geographically, but also in an abstract philosophical sense. It's this vast land of just chaos and existence. And I don't say chaos necessarily with a negative derogatory connotation. I just say chaos in terms of there's no rhyme or reason, there's no set direction, there's no set ideology other than this sheer open vastness philosophically of human beings existing and it has bad consequences when we pollute and we destroy forest and we destroy wildlife and it has good connotations when we give people a chance to set up somewhere new and prosper and when we live side by side all nations colors creeds religions and when we advance through the court systems and then when we go backwards through it because some other faction wanted to declare victory for their side. It's nothing in particular, it just is. And I've come more to terms with all of that and I just wanted to share that with you at the onset of this show because I just think it's interesting. I just think it's something to think about as we try to conceptualize and we try to make sense of where we are as a country. Why do we make these amazing strides and then see these terrible steps back? Why can't we agree on one idea of what we should celebrate and what we shouldn't? Why can't we agree on what this country's supposed to be positively or negatively? Because to some people it's negative, to some people it's positive. That's okay. 
my immigrant forefathers who are only a few generations deep. I'm only third or fourth generation, depending on you know which side. I've done well here. My family's done well because we came here from Europe to find what we were looking for when we did find it. We've also struggled with certain other things. But to somebody else, perhaps, they don't see it the same way because their experience and their family's experience has been different. And my experience doesn't have to be right. I don't have to make them see it my way. I hope that I can work to so that we all have a better state of being. I hope that I can bring people into that prosperity and seeing things the way I see it. But I understand people want to fight against some of those things because inherently their experience is different. And that's okay. We don't need to continue to try to rationalize everything into binary good or bad or right or wrong. Maybe it just is and maybe we can all exist regardless and maybe we should just let go trying to say we aspire to something amazing or we are just terrible maybe we just are period we just exist that's what i want to leave you with on this friday like you know if there's anything to just ponder that was my philosophical soliloquy that i just it's been on my mind all week so i just think you know it's just something to think about now in the news i just find it interesting that I want to specifically discuss Joe Biden and his presidency right now because I think it's been an intriguing presidency. And I brought up a few weeks ago that research had been done and it was becoming a wider accepted theory that Biden fumbled early on in his presidency because he had to decide. He tried to run as both an ultra progressive. Here's somebody who doesn't quite know what they are and doesn't quite know what to do. Biden tried to be an ultra progressive and he also tried to be a centrist. And when voters came out largely against Trump, the centrists voted for Biden and so did the progressives because they joined together with a common enemy, which was Trumpism. The centrists wanted a return to normalcy, wanted somebody who, you know, remember, like resembled the presidents they they're used to seeing and hearing and conducting themselves that way. And they were sick of the tweets and the chaos and the nonsense. The progressives still have their progressive agenda. You know, number one on the agenda was get rid of Trump. But number two on the agenda was, well, we have these progressive ideals. We want Medicaid for all. We want, you know, an expanded, uh, you know, spending programs. We want higher taxes. We want all these things. And especially climate change, the Green New Deal, the squad, AOC. And Biden early on in his presidency kind of had to make an actual decision. He couldn't be both. He couldn't play both sides anymore. He had to decide either I'm a moderate and I'm going to govern from the middle or I'm a progressive further left and I'm going to govern from the left. And the theory is, and I, I happen to agree with it, the theory is that when it came time to pass the infrastructure bill, Biden had a choice, right? He could either, because progressives were against the infrastructure bill unless they also got the Build Back Better bill, which was a massive spending bill that I call the Bernie bill because it was Bernie Sanders and a lot of his pet priority was it was his contingent of the party. Biden could have said, "Okay, progressives, I know you want Build Back Better, but the fact is we don't have the votes. I'm more of a pragmatist. I'm more of a centrist governing figure. It's too pricey. It's too ambitious for the times. 
infrastructure is desperately needed. I'm going to deliver a bipartisan with Republican and Democrat support. I am going to deliver an infrastructure bill, but I'm not going to be able to build, bring you the build back better. Now, had he made that decision, he would clearly have pissed off progressives. He clearly would have been governing from the center. He would have picked a side. Or Biden could have said, I absolutely refuse under any circumstances to sign an infrastructure bill unless the Build Back Better bill is also accompanying it. I am going to decidedly govern from the left. I am decidedly going to be a progressive. He would have pissed off the centrists and he would have gone the progressive route. Now, here's the whether you... Whether you think he should have been more progressive, whether you wish he were more progressive, or whether you want him to be more centrist, here's the sheer fact of the matter. Here's the sheer reality of the situation. He didn't have the votes. Biden never had the votes at that juncture to get the Build Back Better Bernie bill passed. He simply was never going to get Cinema and Mansion on board to pass it. It was never going to happen. So the prudent and intelligent thing to do strategically for Biden would have been to go the centrist route simply because he would have looked strong like he had decisively chosen that route and he would have been able to do victory laps and celebrate the bipartisan infrastructure deal as a huge historic achievement because it is. Trump didn't get massive infrastructure done. Obama kind of did with the Recovery Act, but not to the extent that we wanted. Like, there are shovels in the ground on projects now that have been stalled for a decade or more with other presidents and other administrations that Biden has now gotten done with the help of Congress in a bipartisan way. But instead of celebrating that and decidedly picking center, what Biden did was he kind of played both sides. First, he said, well, I don't want to sign it unless you also bring me the Build Back Better bill. But then he flip-flopped. He's like, no, no, I'll sign whatever you give me. And what it did was cause massive confusion and mass, mass, massive confusion and massive discontent everywhere. Centrists were saying they're going to hold everything up. They want the infrastructure bill. They're demanding it has a vote now. Pelosi's fighting with them. The progressive caucus is fighting with her. And then the progressives are so agitated when he doesn't get the Build Back Better bill, it goes down as a loss because the progressives and the conservatives both have a collective interest in celebrating, not celebrating it, but Republicans are celebrating it. Democrats are mourning it, but both of them have a vested interest in painting it as a failure, right? Because progressives want to say he's a failure on our progressive policies and our progressive agenda and republicans want to say he's a failure period he couldn't even get anything done when in reality he got a massive infrastructure bill passed on a bipartisan basis which showed us that washington dc can still work and yet it flew under the radar and the theory that i was that's a long-winded way of bringing it back to the theory the theory is that that is a big reason why his approval rating is low and why he has looked weak as a leader because he didn't just pick a course of action and stick to it. Even if he picked the left, he could just vilify Manchin, but he didn't pick one or the other. That and, of course, inflation. But inflation hopefully dissipates with these higher higher interest rates and the lowering gas prices. Now, we may see a recession. Let's pray we don't. But why do I bring all these things up? Well, I bring all these things up because this week we got a litany of new bills. We got news that, again, more bipartisan bills 
more bipartisan bills have been agreed to by Congress. Just recently, just this week, the Senate agreed on a bipartisan basis with over 60 votes, a ton of votes, to pass the CHIPS bill, which the House just passed with progressive and moderate and Republican support. And it's going to go to Biden's desk. He's going to sign it. This, these are subsidies to bolster uh, semiconductor manufacturing in the United States so that we are not at the behest and we are not at the mercy of China. And it's better for our national security, and it's also a boon economically for our country. We are going to invest a ton in science and research and technology, massive amounts of money in science and technology. Guys, this had massive Republican support. I bring up Biden because it's like as he has this image of like this stumbling, bumbling guy or whatever, and as he kind of stumbles a little bit when he speaks about certain things and as inflation's rough, but I'm not saying Biden deserves no blame for inflation. It's obviously his country right now. It's his administration. He deserves, of course, everybody involved deserves some of the blame. But the fact is inflation is a worldwide international phenomenon. Inflation is not just occurring in America. So it's not like solely Biden's fault. It is a lot of the result of the pandemic and the money, you know, stimulus money that went into the pandemic because the economy had so rapidly shut down. It's a lot of factors. It's a confluence of things. Well, I'm not absolving him of responsibility. I'm just saying even inflation is not fully his fault. So um It's just interesting while we're looking at him as this like floundering individual that he is passing massive bipartisan legislation and he's not tweeting every day about nonsense and distracting us with just crap all the time. He's not working with our enemies and collaborating with them. Ukraine being supplied weapons is doing well in the fight against Russia, which is good for all of Western civilization. He's doing that properly. Gas prices are coming down. But more importantly, most importantly, he's passing massive bipartisan legislation in conjunction with Congress. So this CHIPS bill is a massive investment. Now, it's interesting because, of course, as I always complain about, and you guys could get mad all you want, your boy Bernie Sanders, Mr. Left-Wing Progressive, who never gets anything done but loves to protest, he was against the CHIPS bill. He voted the CHIPS bill down because he went on some self-aggrandizing, you know, tirade about how... How dare we spend money on chips and semiconductors when we don't spend money on health care? And how can all these other we look to other countries about how to manufacture things, but we don't look to other countries about, you know, Medicare for all. And by the way, I'm for Medicare for all, like if everybody just had access to it, but I'm not for single payer. And the end result, make no mistake, of progressive health care policy, what they want, the furthest left people want is single payer. They don't want you to have a choice in your health care. They want you to go into the same system as everybody else and everybody go into the same system. And there are pros and cons to it, but make no mistake, whether you like it or not, that's what they want. Period. But Bernie went on some whole thing. He's not voting for it because of this and that and the other thing. He's a broken record, man, Bernie. It keeps the same hits over and over and over and over again. 
And look, they're noble causes, but like research and development and technological investment is not necessarily the same thing as, you know, social safety net spending. Whether you think one or the other is important or not important or whatever is whatever it is, but they're not the same. So I don't think it was really such a profound thing for him to vote against it in the name of health care. Like they're two separate issues. So whatever. But that was the left on the right. The, the House Republicans, House Republicans had initially had initially supported the bill. But as soon as Democrats announced that they had reached a deal on the climate bill, which I'll get to in a minute, just for spite, just for spite, McCarthy came out and said that the Republicans were going to whip against the chips bill just to stick it to Democrats because they were getting through another bill that Republicans didn't like. I mean, this is the baby juvenile stuff we see with these grown people. And then one of the individuals, Lucas, a, a, a congressman from Arkansas, who actually helped to craft the CHIPS bill, who has long advocated for the CHIPS bill, came out and said he's not going to vote for the CHIPS bill simply because of the climate bill passing. He said, I regret it. Make no mistake, he said. He said, make no mistake, though, I'm not voting against this bill because I don't like this bill. I like this bill, but I'm voting against it because Democrats got a victory somewhere else. Like he literally said how petty and ridiculous he was. I mean, this is where we are. This is where we are. It's absurd. But let's not dwell on the negative. The positive is 24 House Republicans did cross party lines and they did vote for it. It's a bipartisan bill. It had bipartisan support in the Senate and in the House. It's good for our economy. It's good investment in something that's vital technologically going forward to our economy. And I'm glad it happened. Now, the other big news this week was the climate bill. So there was this climate bill. It, it, it's, it invests billions of dollars into clean energy. It gives clean energy incentives to companies. It imposes a methane tax. Uh, so the more methane you're releasing when you're generating energy, you will be taxed. So it de disincentivizes the release of methane, incentivizes uh, companies to limit their methane output, which is going to bring down climate, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, by a lot in this country. It incentivizes individuals to have clean energy with their homes. It incentivizes all kinds of things like that. It creates a 15% minimum corporate tax rate, meaning no matter what, no matter what loopholes you find, no matter how much you manipulate your tax burden, no matter how much you manipulate your taxes, how good your accountants are, there's a 15% minimum corporate tax rate. All corporations will have to pay at least 15% of their profits in taxes which is going to raise a ton of money to help pay for this. It also closes the carried interest loophole, which is a big issue with Wall Street. They're fighting against it. Manchin agreed to this stuff in the 11th hour. He calls it the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm not quite sure if I totally agree, but yes, if you're sucking more money out of the economy in terms of higher taxes and you're spending it on things that are going to lower the cost of energy, then I suppose you are lowering inflation in some roundabout way. Now, Manchin wants to make inflation his primary uh, issue, which I totally understand. That's why he voted against the bigger bill, uh, the Build Back Better bill. And I agree with him there. But 
Everybody out there vilifying Manchin. He's such a greedy coal baron. He's terrible. He just wants to sink the agenda. He's a Republican in disguise. Actually, it turns out Manchin made a pretty sensible deal. It's a massive climate bill. And by the way, Joe Biden now has followed through on a climate bill. He's followed through on an infrastructure bill. He's followed through on a chips bill. And by the way, three of those things, chips, infrastructure, well, two of those things, chips and infrastructure. There's another one I'll get to in a minute, which is a third. Chips and infrastructure are bipartisan bills. Republican and Democrat support. The last 16 years, you wouldn't even think that. And I'm not blaming Obama because, you know, they just decided to thwart everything he did for no good reason. But they did try to shove the health care, you know, ACA through without a lot of input, which I think maybe he could have gone infrastructure first, Obama. But that's that's a long time ago. I do blame Trump because he was a divisive figure who didn't really want to get much done except cutting taxes for the wealthy. It's pretty much all he cared about, it seems. And just, you know, through executive maneuvers within the administrative state, trying to, you know, take the teeth out of a lot of environmental protections and other things. But you get Biden in office and you get this Congress working and you get these moderates like Manchin, you know, and these moderates in the House pulling a lot of the strings and doing a lot of the maneuvering and Schumer negotiating. And all of a sudden you get all these bipartisan, really good, sensible bills that are solving some of our problems and getting us closer to solutions to real issues. And it's crazy that we're not looking at what's going on with these bipartisan you know, legislative things and not celebrating that we are having good collaboration right now. And especially this summer with these bills, Manchin doing that 180 is interesting, but it wasn't a total 180 the way everybody's saying. It was because he cut a deal that made sense to him. And now we are going to invest heavily in clean energy and bring down emissions while also generating revenue and raising tax rates so that we're not just spending blindly and pumping paper into the economy. We're doing it sensibly in incentive-based ways. Now, you know, bringing down emissions is important, but the rest of the world is still generating a ton of greenhouse gas. So just us doing it is not going to solve the problem. However, us taking the lead is better than us taking a back seat. When China and India and everybody else sees us taking a back seat, they have an excuse. Now, with us taking the lead, everybody else should follow that lead. And hopefully it can be an example of how we can start bringing down greenhouse gas emissions because the climate is changing. It is at least partially influenced by greenhouse gas emissions and all of the energy we fossil fuel fuels we burn and we got to try to put a stop to it it's killing wildlife it's it's making it hard for human beings to function in certain regions of the world it's causing droughts it's causing famines it's a real problem so this bill is massive it's a massive climate bill which he delivered on he delivered on it now the one wild card is cinema Cinema, I also like her. She's another moderate. She's sensible. She sticks to her guns. She apparently is not thrilled about the closing of the carried interest loophole. But I think all indicators are and all expectations are that she will vote for this bill. She won't single-handedly sink it. But it remains to be seen. She is now the one holdout so far because Manchin has agreed to the deal. She never got enough attention. With the Build Back Better, she was against it, too, with Manchin. And they were both sticking to their guns, and I agreed with both of them on that. That bill was just too much spending at the time. Inflation would have been even worse and even harder to rein in. It just wasn't the time for that. 
But she was there with Manchin. Everybody vilified him. Now he agreed. Now let's see what she does. Because it is both of them. It's not just Joe Manchin. So we'll see what cinema does. But these bills are huge, huge, huge news for the country. And they show that things can get done when you sit down, you're pragmatic, you're sensible, you're objective. Things can get done. Now, the other bill, which I did a, a, a brief video on the other day, the other bill that is also bipartisan, which we have to see if it will pass because they need at least one more Republican vote. They need all the Democrats on board. And it has to pass both chambers, and we have a time crunch because this is an election year, and after December, it's lame, you know, it's lame ducks after November, and then all you got is December to try to pass things before the new Congress comes in, which most expect will be a House controlled by the Republicans. The Senate remains to be seen, and I can't wait to have political action Sean Bracken on to discuss, you know, the Senate races, which will we will be delving into deeply come this September. This September and October, you can expect a healthy dose of political action, Sean Bracken, to talk about that stuff. But this bill, the elections bill, I, I went, I broke it down on the video that I released, which if you haven't seen, you can go to the Logic and Larry YouTube channel. The video is there. Go check it out. This is another bipartisan bill with nine Republican sponsors already. McConnell already signaled he might vote for it. This specifically declares that the vice president... His role in certifying the election is strictly ministerial. He cannot, he cannot go anywhere rogue outside. He can't just, you know, unilaterally declare that it's invalid or not certify it. It establishes rules so that the state's electors and the way that the electors will be appointed must be furnished to the federal government at least six days before the election, i.e. if state law or the way that the state apportions electors says that based on the popular vote of this state, we will apportion that many electors, i.e. all of our electoral votes will go toward whoever wins the popular vote or we do it you know, by district or however each state does it. They have to send that in. They have to send that in six days before. And so they can't just change their mind. State legislatures can't just invalidate the popular vote and send their own electors and vote how they want come election day because they're going to have to declare how those electors are apportioned six days before. And so that prevents the electoral college manipulation that Trump tried. This also provides funding for transition teams if there's a contested election as to both candidates so somebody doesn't get to stay in office while the other one is shut out in the dark. This is a, a, a common sense, a common sense reform bill that will protect us from future coups or future attempts to thwart a free and democratic election. If there's one thing we can say about this country, it's that our free elections, but more importantly, or maybe not more importantly, but more, you know, visibly our peaceful transitions of power. The world looks to us for how we conduct these peaceful transitions of power. We are a shining example of how it could and should go. So this election bill, which probably also will pass and Biden will also sign into law, is another massive bipartisan stride forward for this country. Now, I've seen, you know, you got the left wing YouTube channels, you know, complaining about chips here and there because Bernie did. You got the right wingers crying still about inflation. And I'm not saying that 
complaining about inflation is arbitrary. Inflation is hurting a lot of people. It's a real problem. It needs to be brought under control. But they will refuse on the far right and the far left to acknowledge any pragmatic progress and any positivity because the world's always got to be burning in order for them to keep their foot on the gas and continue to say, we have to go my way or the highway. We have to burn it all down if I don't get what I want. But those people are lying to you because they don't spend enough time going through and discussing these positive developments that I just had with you. And Biden's presidency, despite the problem, Biden's presidency, despite his fumbling with words, despite his age, despite inflation, Biden's presidency is one that is bringing people together and is accomplishing pretty big things, infrastructure, Climate change, election reform, the first we've seen in this realm since 1887. 1887. Massive investments in technology and the economy. Massive investments in our transportation hubs. The Biden presidency, from a historical standpoint, when we look back on it, We may remember inflation, we may remember some of the gaffes, but we will remember a guy who came out, made Trump a one-term president, revealed Trump's true colors because of what happened on January 6th, and those revelations continue to come out on the committee. And then despite his less-than-tactful demeanor, getting done bipartisan, massive bipartisan legislative accomplishments... That in 10, 20 years, we're going to look back on with reverence and say, wow, remember when that bill passed, that made this or that possible. So as I sit here on another hot and humid Friday in the Northeast, in Newark, New Jersey, looking at the skyline and climbing through these dog days of summer, I am content and comfortable with the fact that I don't quite know what America is or what it means. I know it's chaotic. I know it's a little bit of everything, positive and negative. I know everybody's perspective on it has some level of validity and some level of invalidity depending upon the situation and the issue. But one thing I can hang my hat on is that there are still somewhere adults in the room, in Congress, in the administration, in the populace. Adults in the room, objective-minded people in the room are still getting important things done despite the setbacks we've had with court rulings, the setbacks we've had in other areas. It's going to be a perpetual job in this country to always work to maintain what's right and what makes sense. It's never going to consistently just stay a certain way and just be serene and just make an accomplishment and and you just don't have to work at it anymore. It's never going to be that because humanity is chaotic. Society is chaotic. The universe that we reside in is chaotic by nature. Existence started with a chaotic big bang that we don't understand the origins of. And so everything set in motion from that point on has been somewhat chaotic and unpredictable. 
and you can't pin it down one way or the other. And that is the state of this country and that will continue to be the state of this country. It will always be work. But work is being done. Much more work needs to be done, but work is being done. As somebody who's an objective individual who hosts a centrist-minded, objective-minded podcast, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge when objective, pragmatic things actually did occur in this country. I'm always complaining about the left and the right because it seems like no matter where they are, they're not far enough. It's always a problem. There's always some war raging. There's always something terrible going on, which there is perhaps, but they rarely acknowledge their accomplishments or the accomplishments the country's made. I have to acknowledge the objective, pragmatic accomplishments this country has made if I'm going to be honest about my position in being a centrist podcast, a centrist commentator, a centrist political scientist or political advocate. And by the way, another thing Biden administration just did was offer a former arms dealer from Russia who has already served 10 years, he's supposed to serve 25 years, in exchange for Paul Whelan and uh, Brittany Griner from Russia. Russia has balked so far because, you know, Russia, whatever. But he has made that offer, and hopefully we see them come home soon. He's working to get that done. His administration is. That's more good news. We'll see if it comes to fruition. The only other news is Nancy Pelosi is going to Taiwan and China's warning her against it. Biden administration's kind of warning her against it because it's a security threat. But quite frankly, quite frankly, I say, I say she should go. Like China wants to test our resolve. What are they going to do? Go. China is not in the strong. Yeah, they're strong. They have a lot of people. They have a strong military, but they're not in the strongest position right now economically either. So, you know what? Let's call China's bluff, I say. If she wants to go, she can go. I think she's planning on going, but I haven't heard. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, with us giving aid to, Afghan, uh, to Ukraine and, you know, us keeping track of what's going on in the world again, I'm all for that. I mean, it's a return to American. You, you cannot exist as a world superpower and you cannot maintain the same level of prosperity at home unless you have influences and are involved across the globe because this is an intertwined economy this is an intertwined society you can't just be isolationist and expect to still remain prosperous so the united states has to be involved in these things and i'm glad that we are all in all guys in this hot sweltering late july day i can tell you i'm feeling a little more optimistic than i had been previously but the work's not done i'm still aware of the rulings in the supreme court as of recent i'm still aware of rampant Trumpism and the, the issues and the concerns that it presents for our country going forward. I'm aware of the ignorance that proliferates through our social media channels and streams all the time. However, I'm not going to ignore progress and actual accomplishments when they occur. And I can tell you that on this late July Friday in this humid weather, I'm feeling a little more optimistic given these newest legislative developments, and it's something to be happy about, and it's something to be proud of, and Biden is about halfway through his term, and you know what? For all the things we can complain about about him, he's done some good, and he's brought some people together, and he's gotten some major accomplishments that will realistically, tangibly benefit us all. So it's something to be happy about, something to be optimistic about. In any event, guys, I hope you enjoy your weekend. I hope you spend it with family and friends. I hope you soak up the sun this last month of summer. 
depending on what news happens and what my schedule is looking like, etc., I will be announcing either a hiatus for August or I will be joining you again in August for live shows or pre-recorded shows. And then obviously we are back in full full action uh, come September either way. Uh, political action Bracken will be here we'll be discussing the upcoming midterm elections and we have a lot to talk about I'm still going to have my guests from Louisiana on um, we are still going to have I want Bobby Krills by the way keep your eye out this Wednesday if you're interested in me in any way and you're interested in kind of my story specifically how it pertains to my hip-hop stuff and my musical you know career and and persona i encourage you to tune into bobby krill's channel heart of the city podcast uh it's really something he had Milkbone on who is a famous rapper uh last week i am coming up this wednesday he interviewed me it was a really cool interview i got to discuss a lot of things that i normally don't get to discuss because people don't normally interview me. I'm usually interviewing other people. But if you are interested in, in that kind of stuff, please check out and be on the lookout for the Heart of the City podcast interviewing me. Bobby Krill's interviewing me. I'm going to have Bobby on the show too soon to discuss the Heart of the City podcast. I think it's a really cool thing what he's doing. And, you know, we always try to highlight people locally who are just doing things and making moves. So I will also have Bobby on, some other guests, and we will definitely be discussing the midterms and all the latest news and the end of this legislative session come the fall. But I will update you guys on when the next show will be, either in two weeks, either pre-recorded or live, or either a couple weeks off. Either way, I hope you're enjoying your summer, you're soaking up the sun, and you take a little bit of time to pause and reflect on what I said today, and a little bit of time to pause and reflect on accomplishments that are actually made. Until then, enjoy yourself, be happy, stay healthy. I'll talk to you soon. Larry K. out.